is taken from uh, Mark chapter 10. Um, There aren't any handouts uh, this morning, so you might want to turn to the Bible. It's on page 714, 714 in the uh, Pew Bibles, or if you've got your own Bible with you, then turn to Mark 10, and we're going to be reading from verse 13 to 25. Mark 10, beginning at verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms put his hands on them and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. A moment to pray. Lord, we believe your power can move in this place. And your power will move into our lives through your word. So may we be still now and receive from you by grace, through faith, from your word. Amen. I have a rather strange title that I want to use this morning as we explore this passage together. It's called Winners or Losers. I think any of us who are sports fans know the pain of losing and the joy of winning. I feel very pained this morning after that dire display by the Welsh rugby team yesterday getting hammered by Ireland. It ruins your weekend, doesn't it, when your team lose, particularly in such an abject way. When your team wins at the weekend, it can put a spring in your step for the coming week. But if your team loses, it makes you grumpy and harder to get motivated for the Monday morning work. (laughs) There's a debate sometimes that takes place amongst sports fans. Is it better to lose well, whatever the cost, or to win, no matter what way you do it? 
despite the romanticism of losing well, most of us would prefer to win badly. But at a more serious level, we also speak of winners and losers in life. Often after a big financial statement like the budget, the newspapers the following day will produce articles. Who are the winners and who are the losers in the light of these decisions that have been made? Or at the moment, it seems, who are the losers and who are the really big losers? And often, of course, there are great injustices at work in all sorts of ways when those who have already feel like they've lost in life seem to lose more, while those who already seem to be winners seem to get more. Which brings me to this passage. I started thinking about this passage because of the first section, actually. Uh, at the 10.30 service, we're going to be uh, blessing uh, a baby. We're going to be blessing Isaac, uh, Lisa's uh, little boy. And um, I felt I needed to say something about what actually we're doing when we, when we bless a child. But as I began to read more of this passage and moved into the next section, which is about the rich young ruler, which is probably familiar to many of us, I began to notice that in these two incidents, these two encounters of very different people that, that, that Jesus meets, there's a very important lesson about who are the real winners in life and who are the real losers in life. About who receives the blessing of life and love that God wants to share with us and who misses out on it. And these two passages prevent a real contrast and connection with each other about this idea of who are the people who God wants to bless. And of course, when we think about winners and losers, Jesus thinks about this in a very different way to the way we think about it and our culture would think about it. Who would at first sight seem to be the winner in this passage? Well, I guess we would say the rich young ruler at first sight before he meets Jesus. The clue is in the title that the Bible passage gives him, a rich young ruler. And don't those three characteristics kind of sum up what we would see as a winner in life? Someone who is rich. He lacked nothing, materially speaking. He had everything. He was rich. He probably inherited that from his father, actually. It was difficult to get rich when you were young in that culture. So he was probably rich simply because his father had been rich and he'd inherited his father's riches. He was young. And whilst, of course, in our culture, uh, it is very challenging to be a young person these days, in those days to be young meant you were privileged. If you were a young person, you had energy. You probably had still had a number of years of life before you. And it also tells us he was a ruler. He had power and authority over people. We don't know exactly why that was the case, but he was a ruler. He could tell people what to do, and they would do it. So in those three characteristics, this man in his culture was seen as a winner. 
He was rich, and his riches uh, enabled him to experience as far as possible security and fulfillment. He was young. He was a man with energy and opportunity. He was a ruler. He could rule over people and get people to do things he wanted them to do. But then he encounters Jesus. And in the conversation he has with Jesus, you begin to see that for all the things this man had, for all the views that he seemed like a winner in life, that that wasn't quite the case. And then we come to the people who appeared to be the losers. Before this meeting with this man, some children are brought to Jesus. Very familiar passage, isn't it? But something strange happens when these parents bring their children to Jesus. The disciples were indignant, to use the phrase, and want to shoo them away. They're saying, go away. Jesus doesn't want to spend time with you. You're not important. You're the losers in life. Why do the disciples respond in this way? It just seems so wrong. Well, that was a cultural thing. Because in that culture, children were seen as losers. Children had no rights, no possessions, and certainly no power. Children couldn't speak in adult company unless they were invited to do, and that didn't happen very often. They didn't get pocket money. They didn't get toys. They didn't get possessions. Children were of little value in that culture. They were seen as losers. In fact, in Greek and Roman culture, children were often treated in the most barbaric way. Infanticide was common, especially if the newborn child was a girl. Young Girls were seen especially as losers. And this is why Jesus demonstrated such a radical way of life through his teaching. Jesus was the first teacher, the first religious leader to put children at the center and to say children are precious and valuable. And anyone who treats children in that kind of barbaric way will face judgment. Jesus was the first teacher or religious leader to bring women into the center of his followers. Those who were seen by their society as losers in life were transformed by the teaching, the practices, and the attitudes of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know where our belief in the value of children comes from, it comes from Jesus. Up until Jesus, history didn't think that way. Jesus transformed people's view of children. Now, in our child-centered culture, that seems ridiculous. Why would parents treat their children that way? But it is Jesus who turns life upside down. It is Jesus who sees children not as losers, but as winners. It is Jesus who welcomes children. It is Jesus who blesses children. And as he does so, he explains why this radically different view of children is so transforming. Jesus doesn't bless the children because they were cute. I mean, most babies are cute, aren't they? 
you know, you look at a little baby and, and, and we all go, ah, oh, you know, isn't he or she so nice? We think children are cute. And maybe we think they're so innocent, aren't they? Oh, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. They would never do anything wrong. Well, we know that's not the case. They learn to do wrong at a very early age. That's not the reason Jesus blesses the children. He doesn't bless them because they're cute or because they're innocent. He blesses them because in their attitude, you see what it means to be a real winner in life. You see what it means to receive God's blessing into your life. What is that attitude? It's not the attitude of the man who thought he was a winner. He brings his riches, his youth, his authority, and says, Jesus, I have all of these. Now, please bless me. Jesus doesn't accept him on those terms. Instead, he makes this enigmatic statement about a camel going through the eye of a needle. In Jerusalem, there was a gate which gained entry into the city. The camels would come with their backs loaded with goods to bring to the market, and they would get to the gate, and the gate was too small for them to go through. And so the only way that the camel could get through the gates, which became known as the eye of the needle, was to take everything off, all the goods that they were carrying, all the riches they were carrying, the saddle that the uh, owner rode on, everything had to come off, and only then could the camel get through the gate. Only then could the camel get through the eye of the needle when he has lost everything that he has. The child comes with no money, no power, no ability, no resources to do anything for themselves except the readiness to receive what Jesus can give them. And every time we bless a, children in, a child in church, that's what we're saying. We're saying this child may not be rich, may not have power, in fact, this child may not even be able to walk or talk yet. This child is totally dependent on its parents for everything in life. And Jesus takes that as a model. And he says, if you want to receive the blessing of my life, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, a person of influence or none. The universal truth, both in Jesus' time and our time, is losers come with nothing but go away with the greatest gift of all that ensures they become the real winners in life and in death. It's a lovely line in the hymn Rock of Ages, one of my favorite hymns. It says this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Jesus laid aside everything on the cross and made himself nothing. And everyone looked at him and said, what a loser. What a loser. What was he doing with his life? But at the cross, he demonstrated that the losers in life can become the winners. As he died on the cross, he voluntarily gave himself for us as a substitute. And through repentance and faith, gave us the chance to gain his life. That's what the rich young ruler refused to do. But that's what it means to come to Jesus in childlike trust and receive the blessing of God into your life.
Gospels record another rich, powerful man who came to Jesus to find out what he needed to do to get into the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't young. He was probably getting on a little bit. And Jesus turned to this religious, powerful man, and he said, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Now that took some explaining. How can a man be born again? Well, what Jesus meant was what he's saying here. You have to become like a child all over again, not physically, but spiritually. You come with that simple childlike attitude of trust and dependence that enables Jesus to forgive your sins and to start all over again as though you were becoming like a newborn child. So today, no matter how old or young we are, how rich or poor we are, how powerful or weak we are, Jesus calls us to come to the communion table like children, not bringing anything of ourselves, that we are therefore worthy of his blessing, but rather trusting him for our salvation in childlike trust and receiving the benefits of it which he won for us on the cross. We're going to affirm our faith in the words of the cross. And so, Lord, in response to your word this morning, we come to you in childlike trust in prayer. Recognizing that you invite us into your presence. You invite us to express our needs on the basis of that trust in you. That you have saved us, you have redeemed us that you have enabled us to come into relationship with your Holy Father. And so, Lord, that is how we come this morning. Lord, in our childlikeness, we recognize that there are many things going on in our world today that we do not understand, and yet we entrust them to you. So we do pray for our own nation at this point when there seem to be so many losers in our society, so many people struggling with so many issues, we pray for real spiritual leadership. We pray for your church. We pray particularly for the Church of England as the bishops meet at Synod this week. And we pray that you will give them wisdom and courage to lead well to lead on the basis of your truth and to be able to communicate your truth with the authority of your word to our nation at this time. And we pray for our government, we pray for our leaders locally, and we ask, Lord, that in all the decisions they need to make, that there may be this sense of seeking justice, of seeking fairness, of seeking, even though they may not recognize it, your will in these situations. So, Lord, in your midst, hear our prayer. We continue to pray for your wider world. We pray for Ukraine, and, Lord, we ask that you will be merciful to that nation. We ask that you will change hearts and minds on both sides. And we pray, Lord, that you may bring peace and justice to that troubled part of your world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
as we think about children, we thank you, Lord, for the great work that you are doing amongst children, young people, and families in our church. We thank you, Lord, for the way that numbers have increased so much. We thank you for the way that so many come regularly on a Sunday morning and in the midweek as well. And Lord, we pray for our children and youth workers and our family workers. We pray, Lord, that as they seek to bless children, that you may use them to make disciples. Help them to be able to share your word in a way that is understandable. Give them a heart to to walk alongside children as they go through life. And Lord, as you have already begun this work, we pray that you will bring it to completion in making fully formed disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who will make a difference to the future of your church here at St. Vane. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we just thank you for Tim and we pray that this past week when he's been away will have been a refreshing time for him. And we pray for him as he uh, takes up the reins of leadership again after this short break. And Lord, may you again empower him by your spirit um, and, and just use him, Lord, to lead us forward in a way that honors you. And so we bring all these prayers to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.